0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, a beautiful day outside, a beautiful day inside. It's always a beautiful day in the house of the Lord. So glad you're here. Thank you, Lee and Scott. Thank you, Worship team, for preparing our hearts <clears throat> for the Word, but also singing the Word, believing the Word as we sing. If you are here for the very first time, you'll want to know that we are in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, and you are arriving right in the middle of chapter 7, which is the first chapter of the prophetic section of Daniel. It's a genre of literature known as apocalyptic and it's some interesting stuff we're reading about in Daniel. We're working through this Old Testament book because we are studying eschatology or the doctrine of last things. After Daniel, we will move to Revelation, the book of Revelation, but there'll be a little bit of a time in between. And some of that time in between will be still talking about eschatology or last things. But the reason we're in Daniel before Revelation is that one cannot properly understand Revelation without having a knowledge of Daniel. New Testament truth is always built upon Old Testament truth with the advantage of our understanding Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. For the last two weeks, we read about Daniel's vision that occurred somewhere around 550 B.C. Daniel saw four terrifying beasts representing four kingdoms. Now, over in Daniel chapter 2, remember Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a statue, and it represented four kingdoms. Now, Daniel sees these four beasts in a vision, and he is told by an angel, as we'll, we'll see, that it, represents these represent kingdoms are they the same four kingdoms over here it was Babylon Medo-Persian Empire Greek Empire and the Roman Empire over here but now here some people debate whether or not that last empire was Rome or it was a yet for us even future kingdom Um, lots to think about especially in this Um, chapter we are introduced to a person who is considered to be the antichrist is the antichrist a person or is it a spirit of an age in which satan seeks to wrest power from and control from god and the messiah most of the questions we have about this topic are going to be answered in time which is not the first time you'll hear me or the last time you'll hear me say that today but in our quest Patience is a necessary virtue if we want to get it right. If our focus is only in our particular area of interest of eschatology, then we're going to miss something really important. So let's go through methodically and figure it out. Again, if you're here for the first time and you want to go back and and catch some of this up a little bit, see what maybe I've missed, that might not be a bad idea. But let's jump into our text, Daniel 7, 15 through 28. For context, you'll recall in the first seven verses of Daniel 7, or the first um, eight verses, I'm sorry, you, we find the four beasts that described, represent those different kingdoms. Now, for further context, last week's text Daniel 7 verses 9 to 14 is going to be our initial reading. Remember, this was all, the entire chapter was all part of Daniel's vision. It's our custom to stand as God's word is being read. So if you would, please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. As I looked... It says, after he seen the four beasts, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His thrones were fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. These were angels. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. You'll remember that those sitting in judgment were the ancient of days, God the Father, and probably saints, believers, God's people. I looked then because of the sound of the great words or arrogant words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, The beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. Jesus is being prophesied here. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> Let's keep going in verses 15-15. And 16, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. You know what it's like to wake up from a bad dream, don't you? I mean, what is your... Emotion when you wake up from a bad dream, well, it depends on how bad it is, right? I mean, if it's bad but you're suddenly awake, it's relief like oh, oh thank God that's not happening really happening to me in my real life. but if it's bad enough, you may wake up in terror and even cry out. Uh, Daniel's dream and vision, just think about it we're far more frightening and terrifying than anything we have ever seen. While we're here, let me just ask this question. Does God still use dreams today? Well, I'm sure he does. But you can always know whether your dream is from the Lord as to whether or not not it coincides with the Scripture, whether it comports with Scripture. God is never going to give us a dream that he intends for us to know something that does not align with his word. This was a vision. Daniel's vision was a vision of how the world would be. He asked one of those standing. And remember from last week, angels never sit. They stand or they fly. So this was surely an angel. He asked one of them what the meaning of the vision was. There was good news and there was bad news in the answer that he received. Verses 17 and 18. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Remember, the first of the chapter, we saw them coming out of the sea, but really, they're coming from the earth. They're earthly kings and kingdoms. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Almost all scholars agree that these first three kingdoms... Our Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian, Greek Empire. Remember, kings and kingdoms are used interchangeably in Daniel's writings. We remember these empires, but we also remember Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander. There There is a singular accountability or a particular accountability for the leaders of these violent empires. So, is the fourth beast the Roman Empire or not? Some think that it was because it was particularly violent. And another empire did not replace it. It just sort of broke off. And that's what the ten kings represent. Multiple kingdoms taking its place. It would also be consistent with Nebuchadnezzar. Now I feel like the guy on Liberty Mutual. I'm going to be doing that today. bibbidi Um, it would be consistent with Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue that represented the four ancient empires. In both Daniel 2 and 7, Daniel was seeing what was already occurring with the Babylonian Empire, but he was seeing into the future as well. We want to know the same thing Daniel wanted to know, right? We want to know about this fourth empire but let us not fail to absorb the exceedingly good news in verse 18 the saints of the most high that's us will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever forever and ever That sort of sounds like eternity doesn't it who are the saints of the most high well in daniel's day It was those who trusted Yahweh and believed the promises that he made for his people. Old Testament saints were saved the same way New Testament saints are. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. We believe Jesus because we have so much more understanding now that Jesus has come. And we have God's completed word. And when we trust Jesus as our only hope. salvation just like we sing about this morning my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul when we're not trusting anything we can do to be good enough to be to heaven but or get to heaven but rather we are trusting what God has done for us through Jesus that's when we are the people of God. We're going to encounter the saints several more times in this chapter, which means we're going to encounter ourselves, no matter how you interpret Daniel. Most eschatological systems believe that Daniel's prophecies Look beyond the Roman Empire to the end of time as we know it. Some say, no, it has nothing to do with Rome. Others say it's Rome and it's the revived Roman Empire. Roman Catholic, we've heard everything about this last empire and the one who is known as the little horn, little man with a big mouth. We can say this, if for no other reason, because details from Daniel 7 and how important this is to the end of time, we can say it because Daniel 7 shows up no less than 22 times in Revelation. That's just one chapter. 22 times a reference is made in Revelation to the book of Daniel, and in chapter 7 in particular. That is a reason it's a good thing that Daniel asked the question that we all want answers for in verses 19 and 20. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrified with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about The ten horns that were on his head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes, which means he was intelligent, and a mouth that spoke great things or arrogant things, and that seemed greater than its companions. Prepare for an understatement. We can see that the fourth beast made a particular impression on Daniel. This beast devoured and broke in pieces with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. And then it stamped what was left with its feet. Terrible. If you are a dispensationalist and possibly if you're a historic premillennialist, you believe this bad boy is yet to come. Even if you're an amillennialist, you might have space in your uh, theology for a difficult period before Jesus returns. Only postmillennialists are confident that things are going to get better before Jesus returns. Perhaps by the time we finish Revelation, we'll all be panmillennialist. We believe that it's going to all pan out in the end, right? That's that's what... <laughs> I, I think I'm there all, already. Um, by the way, just so you know, it, we will continue all the way through this study. There'll be sheets out on the table right outside the, the door that gives all four millennial positions. And look, can I just encourage you? Maybe Maybe you really like what God is doing here at Grace Community Church, but you don't care about all of this talk about prophecy. It's just over your head. You can't understand it. Can I just encourage you to hang in there? The more you hear something, the more it makes sense. And in fact, one day, it's like you can go nine times, and it, it's, like, it's, it's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then the 10th time, it makes sense. So these words, premillennial, postmillennial, post I, I know they're... They're foreign to a lot of you. you know, you've never thought about it in these ways. But how we think about the end times has a great deal to do with how we interpret the rest of Scripture. So while it's a third-tier theological issue that we should not be upset with one another about, because people, I promise you, on your road, there's somebody who disagrees with you, almost certainly, on these things It's it's important for us to understand it and to recognize how it impacts the rest of our understanding of Scripture. So we can't stop there. We're talking about the fourth beast with ten horns. These ten horns have been the subject of much speculation over the years. In my early years as a Christian, I was a hardcore dispensationalist. I believed that these ten horns represented a ten-nation confederation, European confederation, Roman confederation, from which the Antichrist would arise by defeating three of these ten nations. You can only imagine how often the ten-nation confederation changed in our thinking. You know, some people said, well, you need a Bible in, well, a lot of preachers, this is training, good training for all preachers, you need a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another, although we could say a device of some sort that gets you connected to the internet, you need to know what's going on. Well, in 1993, six nations pulled together to become the European Union. And it started growing, and you can imagine somewhere around 10, we got excited. And then when 11 hit, we're like, okay, now one of these, maybe that's, there's the little horn is in one of these, and 12, and surely, well, these two don't really count. You're constantly trying to make it fit. but I'm getting ahead of myself. Verses 21 to 22 continue the summary statement about the fourth beast that we have just begun. Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Now, this is it's not easy to hear. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints... Of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. In Revelation, we're going to read that this one that is prophesied here in Daniel 7 was given authority to hurt the people of God. That's not easy, is it? Here we're told in Daniel 7, that he's given this mouth that utters blasphemies. But judgment will be made ultimately on behalf of the people of God. This one, whether literal or symbolic of the world system, that produces leaders who war against believers has a definite agenda that includes persecution of the church. Satan is behind all this, of course, unless you're an amillennialist who believes that Satan was bound when Jesus was on earth. Every system, it seems, has at least one glaring weakness, but every system also has strengths to commend it. I was talking to my my buddy Denton yesterday, and we were talking about this, and things that... You just can't make fit in Scripture. Why is that the case? It's not that the people who are writing what appears to be a contradiction are not smart enough to keep that from being. I just think it's very clear that God is bigger than we are. And it's interesting to me, and maybe I'll change my mind before I come to the end of this. But honest to goodness, I don't know that I'm going to say, yep, that's me. I'm a dispensationalist. I'm a historic premillennialist. I'm figuring it out just like I hope you are. If your mind is already made up, please suspend your judgment long enough for us to get through this year. Because it's going to take almost a year to do it. But why wouldn't there be one system that checks all the boxes? Well, he's God and we're not. And it's good to learn to trust him at that level in every area of our lives. This is not a contradiction. This is not a warning sign that maybe this book is not. No, this is a truth that God is so much bigger than we are. And all you need to know for certain is at the end, a judgment is going to be made on behalf of the saints of God. Well, in the end, God destroys earthly kingdoms. He provides a kingdom for his children that will be led, as we learned last week, by one like a son of man or Jesus Verses 23 and 24. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones. So the fourth beast is different than the first three. But now this horn is different than the other ten. And he shall put down three kings. The ten horns and the little horn that will put down three kings. That's where we are. If indeed there will be an antichrist, a single man... Who will rule the world. He is first prophesied in Daniel 7. Where do we find the Antichrist in the New Testament? The Apostle John is the only New Testament author to use the term Antichrist. But there are several texts that seem to indicate that there is one person who is going to rule over the world at the end. Um, Such as 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Look at this one. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, and the son, of, or the, the son of destruction, the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. I'm God, he says. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This seems clear. One person will wreak havoc against God's people and declare himself to be God. Wherever we see this antichrist figure, we see him imitating Jesus every way possible. We're going to engage Jesus' prophecy of the abomination of desolation from Matthew 24 over the next few chapters of Daniel. But this morning, I want us to look at John, who also wrote Revelation. I want us to look how how John, who also wrote Revelation, uses this term Antichrist. You will be surprised at how few times the term Antichrist is used anywhere in the Bible. 1 John 2:18. Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What's really significant about 1 John is that it was written by John the Apostle, who was also the author of Revelation. And he tells us that many Antichrists have already come. There's a debate about when John wrote the book of Revelation. I think it was late in the first century. I think it was somewhere in the late 80s. Others are convinced that it was in the late 60s, before the destruction of the temple. It's interesting that our beliefs about the date are not so much determined by archaeological evidence, where we look to that in a lot of other spaces, and we look to the circumstances written but our, our thinking about the dates of these important books by John, especially the book of Revelation, is impacted by our eschatology more than anything else. But that's another discussion for another day. Perhaps when Revelation is introduced. Whatever millennial system you follow, we can all agree... That the New Testament authors understood that since the time of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, we have been living in the last hour. These are, brothers and sisters, the last days. When someone says, are these the last days? Oh yeah, they have been since the time of Christ. Then 1 John 2.22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So, here's a question. Do you know anyone who denies the Father and the Son? Well, Scripture calls them a pretty bad name. Is John referring to the Antichrist or to anyone who denies Jesus? Verse 18 indicates that many antichrists have already come, but clearly not the one of Revelation 13 and following. Can a solid case be made for there being one person known as the antichrist at the end of time? Yes, there can be. And a solid case can be made against one antichrist and is 2 John 7 indicates there are many deceivers that have gone out into the world. We'll have plenty more to say about this one Antichrist, but this morning in the remainder of our time, I want us to think about the spirit of Antichrist that is palpable in our day. 1 John 4 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit Of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now you have seen and heard every New Testament verse that uses the term Antichrist. All by the Apostle John. There is a spirit of Antichrist in our world against which believers must steal themselves. We see that spirit clearly in Daniel seven twenty five. So back to our text. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times. And half a time. This is the little horn with the big mouth who uses his words to speak against God, condemn, accuse God, and condemn and and accuse God's people. Interesting, isn't it, that this one persecutes the saints To the point of wearing them out. What does it mean that he will seek to change the times and the law? In Daniel's day most likely it meant that that this evil ruler. Would try to do away with the Sabbath and holy days. And all the things that were important to the people of God. He's saying no those days are really not that big of a deal. He would make a mockery of God's law. And mock those who live according to the law. Why? He hates God and by extension, he hates God's people. He will be given this authority for a time, times, and half a times, Half a time. Now, most people... Uh, think that a time represents a year so a year two years and half a year or three and a half years now we're getting into tribulation territory but it's gonna be a while we're gonna have to just leave that for another time times and half a time so before we conclude the message this morning I want to do something that I rarely do I want to bring application before the end of the text is read. It'll make sense in a few minutes. But if the spirit of Antichrist is afoot in our world already, then it's important for us to understand how we should respond. Daniel 7.25 has prepared us to know how To respond when we see the tactics of the enemy. How do we combat this spirit? Three thoughts beginning with. The spirit of the antichrist uses words against God and against his people. Combat this spirit with God's word. Not your own. Combat it with God's word. Words are everywhere these days. Intelligent thought and discourse are not. Everywhere these days. In fact. They're hardly anywhere. The culture is using the idea of God. To discredit God's words. They do so by making God in their own image. And even we get tempted to, to do the same thing. My God wouldn't do such a thing. Wait a minute. Do you see what you've just done? My God would not do this and that. I'm combating the spirit of the world with my own spirit and my own words while using God to support my opinion. There's a lot about God we can't understand, much less adequately explain. If we want to represent God, we best let him speak for himself. I had a nice paragraph in this space about knowing uh, the word and how the word prepares you to engage the world with the gospel. But I happily highlighted and deleted it when I realized, although that's true, it's far more important that we be convinced of the truth of God's word than we know how to witness to others. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or by the gospel. Your faith increases as you spend time in the word. And not only that, you are far more qualified at that time to talk somebody if you've never taken a class on witnessing at all. If you just know the word, you're ready to engage people with the gospel. So how are you doing on your Bible reading plan this year? It's about the time where people start to, you know, slip in the saddle. I used to, one half a summer, I was a wrangler at Team Valley Ranch. That was about the most ridiculous thing ever, that I was a wrangler. But I was. And... I remember one time I was on a horse, and maybe I'm just remembering big, you know. Maybe I just saw it where the saddle starts to slip, and there's nothing you can do, and boom, you're going down. Well, maybe you're somewhere in here. Get back on. Look, if you've fallen off the horse, get back on. It's not too late. You can catch up. You can figure a way to do it. Really Read it really fast just to get to where you should be at this point in the year. It might be a while. In fact, it's going to be years before you realize the importance of this big picture understanding of Scripture and how important it is to combat the spirit of Antichrist that is in this age. But you will see in time if you don't already know. Second, the spirit of Antichrist seeks to distract you from a life of worship and service To God. Commit to following Jesus as if your eternity depends on it. Daniel 7.25 says that he will think, this antichrist, will think to change the times and the law. Look, we're going to talk about this in home group this week and there is no way to adequately explain to you how much of this study you're missing if you're not in home group. It's the time where we can go a lot deeper into the text and then think about application at a much high, higher level. Um, <clears throat> so, again, you'll get a lot of this this week, but there's very little time left this morning, and so I want to just be direct in what I say. Had dinner earlier this week with Sean and Melissa Cross, who were a part of the Grace family while they were members at Campbell. And Sean served on staff several years here. And he now serves as the teaching pastor at the Durham campus of Vintage Church. And we were talking about the challenges of discipling slash mentoring young men and women in a culture that insists our time, our talents, our money are our own to do with as we will. This is directly in the face of all that scripture says. We who belong to Jesus are not our own. We were bought with a price and everything we are and have belongs to him. And we have spent so many years not offending young people that we haven't told them how to live. You guys need to know this. Your time, your money, your gifts, your talents, not yours. All of us, no matter what our age is, we need to remember that. What's the point of this point? We have allowed the wrong spirit to guide our activities. This is going to hurt me just as much as it does you. Football. The final round of golf, men's final in tennis, basketball, baseball, hockey, all on Sunday. Travel team. Ah, but you got to do it, you know? You want to give your kid the best. On and on we could go. College orientation. The spirit of the age is to do almost anything but attend church on Sunday. And money... Are we going there again so soon? We already had a report. Now let's think about the other part. Nearly a third of Jesus' teaching had something to do with money. 11 out of 39 parables. In addition, Proverbs makes it clear that generous people receive as well as they give and that they have a much better life. A spirit of generosity will do you so much good. Look, I have occasion enough to counsel young individuals who do not profess faith in christ and i encourage them look give to the cause of your choice it might be that i disagree 100 i'm diametrically opposed to the cause that you're given to but i'm telling you it'll do you better as a human being if you just follow this principle to be generous with your money be generous with your time, and with your gifts. If you were young, and if you were older, the world is telling you that your time, your money, the gifts and talents that you have been given are yours to do with as you will. And I am here to tell you that that is the spirit of the Antichrist. And with that cheery note... Our final point of application is, it will probably get far worse before we are with Jesus in his fully established kingdom. Worship the Lord and serve others with eternity in your hearts. Look, it, it is not going to get easier from here as we move forward. There might be a lull in some areas, but I'm telling you where our nation is heading, it's like a, it's like a stock market graph. It, it, it trends up occasionally, but it's going down. There are very, 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 very few instances in history where people turn this around. When you get to the place where we are, And when it goes down for the nation, it especially goes down for believers. We need to make our minds up right now that we're going to follow Jesus no matter what, just like Daniel and his friends did. There is no indication that Daniel and his friends ever made it back to Jerusalem. Almost certainly they died in captivity. But Daniel knew that there would be an accounting for all ill one day. And he trusted the Lord with his life. Daniel knew that the only court that ultimately matters will one day be called in the session. Verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, the little horn. To be consumed and destroyed to the end. If you're standing in a human court and your life is on the line based on whether you profess Jesus or not. Better already know before you get to that place. You need to make a decision about a decision before you have to make the decision. You're going to need to know that the Ancient of Days will one day convene his court when Jesus returns. Our faith in this court is strengthened when we are here together like we are on Sunday morning. And when we encourage and admonish one another in home group. Make your decision today to follow Jesus with all your heart. And then we can conclude like our text does, this glorious conclusion to the text. Our lives will end one day when we are either raptured out of this place or we come back with Jesus when he comes to this earth. And it points to eternity where every tear will be wiped away and we will worship the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man forever. Verse 27. And the kingdom... And dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Who are you? You may be thinking, I'm a nobody. No, you're one of the ones that the kingdom of the Most High is going to be given to. His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. I don't know about you, but here at the end of Daniel 7, I kind of identify with Daniel. My thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color has surely changed. Thank God, I will one day be dressed in white, not because of my own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of the one who was like a son of man, who came on the clouds, but he came in humility, lived the life that I was incapable of living, died the death that I should. And because of my faith in him, because Jesus died for me. He deserves my best. Not next year. Not even tomorrow. But today. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, Father. We thank you for this chapter that has taken us three weeks to <clears throat> navigate and understand. Well, we don't understand it, but we we're closer <clears throat> than we were three weeks ago. <clears throat> and so we pray that our hearts and our eyes and our minds would be able to look beyond the chaos and the destruction and the violence of this world. And look to Jesus. And Lord, as we consider <clears throat> this court that will be convened one day, where the dead will be raised and we will all be judged, may we be found in Jesus and may those all around us be found in Jesus as well. Give us a heart to share Christ. We're so thankful. You've called us to your family and made us your own. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.